In Cleveland Heights, the question for residents is a matter of change. Signs lining the lawns urging the more than 32,000 voters in the city to either vote to keep or change the way they've governed themselves for 98 years. And let the chips fall where they may in November. Let the voters decide what's in the best interests of our city. Citizens for Good Government has conceded this election. We all care about this great city that we call home. We all want it to be better. The citizens of Cleveland Heights will have a say over who they want to be the mayor. Hi, I'm Adam Dew, host of Due Diligence. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited to finally put out our three mayoral candidate interviews here as we uh, plow towards uh, the primary on September 14th uh, for our first ever elected mayor here in Cleveland Heights. We recorded four interviews. Josie Moore, uh, um, the fourth candidate, has recently suspended her campaign. So you're only going to be seeing three of the four uh, interviews with Cleo Saren, Melody Hart, and with Barbara Danforth. As always, Due Diligence is brought to you by my company, Do Media Inc. We do video production of all types, live streaming, corporate, nonprofit, uh, political ads even. Uh, we helped flip a district on the west side recently working with Monique Smith to, uh, to win her state uh, house seat. We're also brought to you by um, Eric Silverman's companies, uh, which are Heights Clothing Company, uh, Spiritwear, and uh, Dude About Town, which is Eric's art photography company. So check him out online. And, uh, and also, of course, the Heights Observer. I can't thank them enough for getting behind this podcast concept. And I hope that these interviews are useful as people decide, uh, make a big decision here coming up. Early voting starts August 17th. And again, that primary September 14th uh, will whittle down the field from three to two. So get your, uh, get your votes in in the next month. We start talking to the candidates for mayor here in Cleveland Heights, joined by Melody Hart. Melody, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, um, tell me where we are right now. What are we looking at right here? Well, this is an empty lot. It's on the corner of Compton and DeSoto. If you go up and down DeSoto, you'll see it's like missing teeth, lots of empty lots. And these were as a result of houses becoming not repairable and having to be ripped down. So we have a lot of vacant lots. It's one of the target areas we have for, um, for our infill housing to start building houses on these empty lots. New houses, uh, some of them will be first floor as well. Uh, so I think it will be a rejuvenation thing for the neighborhood whenever houses are built and people start moving in again. I think it will be a good thing. We have, we're doing this also in Caledonia and in Noble as well. So describe the full scope. How many lots does the city own and what's the plan moving oh, forward? Oh, my, my. Hundreds. Hundreds of empty lots we own. Yes. And, and is there... Not how like is, 800 or anything. But right. You know. Really? So... Not, not, not like 800, more like a, you know, maybe 200 or something range. Um, and how, and I know you have plans. What's the next steps right now? I know you've partnered with a few different CDCs to, to develop, yes. right? So what's the plan right. moving forward? Okay, so right now they're in the process of negotiating the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding. Once that's negotiated, and it should be very soon, they're going to be able to start building. Most of the developers have said they're going to build like four or five houses, you know, uh, because they don't want to get out there too far with their, their money. You know, they want to get the houses built, get those sold, and then build five more. So they'll do it in that kind of a cadence. I believe Startright is going to build a model home and then use that to try to pre-sell some of the homes. Hmm. 
and start right. And these, some of these, most of these lots are in areas that that need to see more development, right? Yes, they are. They are. Um, so when you think about, so foreclosure bonds, though, I, my understanding was you were a big proponent of this legislation, right? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. So tell me, like, how foreclosure bonds are going to be a tool to support housing moving forward. Okay. So uh, when we originally passed the foreclosure bond, it was that they would have to put up $15,000 whenever the house became vacant because of the foreclosure. So if they don't make the people move out, they don't pay the bond. Because usually the house gets kept up a little more if someone's in it. Okay. So they pay the bond, and then if they don't fix things, we can fix things. About half of the banks were paying it, and the rest were ignoring it. So I went back in and did some legislation on foreclosure bond, on out-of-county registry, and on vacant housing registry. And what the foreclosure bond now does, it, it, for each of those three, it requires now you have to have, to have a point of sale. You have to have a point of sale, sorry. Even though you haven't sold it, you have to have a point of sale. A lot of people want to get rid realtors yeah. want to get rid of it, right? <laughs> but it's just, why can't you get rid of point of sale? You know what? I talked with Sally Martin about this in South Euclid, and she said, I said, the realtors are saying that we should get rid of it because Lakewood doesn't have it. Uh, I don't think we can say we're comparable to them. We're a diverse community. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, our houses are very old, and we need the foreclosure bond to make sure that we can maintain the housing because it's it's too easy for it to go downhill. But if you have that that if you have that uh, point of sale, what happens is that it has to be brought up to speed every time you're selling it, which right. which helps maintain the housing stock. By doing it with the foreclosure bond, when a foreclosure happens, it can go on for years. It can go on for ten years even, and. If the, the, the bank doesn't do anything, it just keeps deteriorating. So by having the foreclosure bond and making them get a point of sale, we can also, I have it to where you can alter the amount of, of, of bond. We can make it 30000 if the house is in really bad shape. But they have to put it down, and we can fine them now if they don't, just like we can fine out-of-county registry and others, so that they have to put it down. The other thing that's really important, not so much for foreclosure bond, but for out-of-county registry. We have many people coming in from California and other states and also from out of the country and buying up properties sight unseen. They do nothing to them. They may rent them out. They may not even be habitable and they'll rent them out. And they're not taking care of it. So we need them to comply as well. But the problem with them is that whenever our housing law is criminal, that means you have to serve a person in person, right? which is a little difficult. Right. And then they give you their agent, which you can serve, but somehow they get the addresses mixed up or whatever, and you can never track down the agent. If you finally bring them into court, they send their lawyer, of course, and then their lawyer says, oh, the LLC sold it to a different LLC. Well, the whole process has to start over, even though the same guy owns both LLCs. Mm. So it's really hard. It's like a hamster case. You never, you never, you never ever get them to justice. So what I put in all three of these, all three of those legislations is the option for the court to prosecute it civilly instead. And if it's civil, they can put a notice on the door. They can then, you know, if he comes to court and says, "Oh, I sold to another LLC." If he owns that LLC, that doesn't matter. It'll still be combined, and he has to he has to do his correct his violations. So that was an important part, I thought, of putting that as a, we need tools in our toolbox. And that's another tool, is a civil violation. So why wasn't, why do you think 
things like this weren't done years ago. Like we had this issue in 2009, right? After the housing crisis. I mean, I'm guessing this is part of like why you supported us moving to an elected mayor, right? Like yes. things like this, right? Like yeah. things like this shouldn't take this long to get it done. It shouldn't take that long, you're right. right. So talk to me, yeah, talk to me about, we'll come back to housing maybe, but talk to me about why did you, why are you running for mayor? Okay, well, it's not like, you know, I retired from my career mm -hmm. last year, just in time for COVID. And it's not like I said, oh, I want to become mayor for the rest of my life. No, I didn't say that. But what I did is I looked at why, I talked to different mayors about what was required. I talked to East Providence, who also had gone through this process, and came up with what I think a mayor needed. And then I looked at the range of candidates. And we have some good candidates. But what I had heard was, you have to be civically involved for a good period of time so you understand the issues in the city, okay? You have to have um, a knowledge of the city. You should have a good financial understanding and background. And you need managerial skills. So I've been involved with GCC, Cleveland Heights Housing, walking the neighborhoods, writing down all the bad houses, bringing them to the city, demanding they fix them. I've, uh, as a knowledge of the city, I've been on city council for a year and a half, and I went to city council meetings for four years before that. Uh, I'm a CPA, so I think I got that, that one down pat. Mm -hmm. um, and then managerial skills. My career was in finance. So I was treasurer of some major companies like Signet Jewelers, which is Kay and Sterling and all those. Okay. I worked at many Fortune 500, like Quaker Oats, like Delphi, Arvin Meritor, and Goodyear. And I feel that the skills I learned there, one, I managed departments. I prepared budgets and managed budgets. I also had another thing. It's like you can have a style. So leadership has styles. There can be a command and control st style where you just boss people around, you know. That can work in some cases. Then you have other styles, and my style is a collaborative style, and I learned that because that's important in my career. You have to collaborate with the banks, you have to make sure they're gonna lend you money, but also you have to demand good service, you have to talk to rating agencies, make sure you can maintain your rating, you have to talk to other departments and divisions because you're controlling their cash and their debt, and they need to, you need to make sure they do what you want them to do. Sure. So some things you can dictate, some things you have to convince. So a collaborative style is important, particularly because now you have a council, and a council is not a board, a council is elected. So since they're elected, you have to be able to cooperate. Because if you get into a war with a council, it's just a bad situation, you know. You gotta work together to get things done. Yeah, I think a lot of us uh, watching from afar uh, the last year or so haven't seen a mu as much cooperation maybe as we'd like on council, right? I agree. I think, it was, I think it was pretty amazing, and I've said this in previous podcasts, I thought it was pretty amazing when Davida Russell uh, broke the log jam uh, on, on getting that seventh person, yeah. uh, and I know you seconded her um, motion, uh, yeah. uh, like I think it almost like you pounced on it, right? Like you were like ready. Yeah. Like it was, but I mean, like it was, it was, it was, it was a, time. Right. It was, it was time. time. I think on behalf of the city, it was time. Um, and uh, no, I think we, I think that gives us some hope, right? That yeah. maybe, and because there's going to be some changeover on council coming up there too, right? Is, there it's is. like maybe the some of the most massive change the city's seen in a long time in the yeah. next in the next 12 yeah. months, right? 
Um, so why should people think that this is going to be good, positive change? Well, one thing I can say is, having been on council, what I realize in a city manager form of government is none of the city reports to you except for the city manager. Okay, and then really, unless four of you agree on something, why should anyone do anything? Because do they want to answer everyone's request? No. So they want to make sure that there's enough votes that they have to answer a request. Okay, so, but if you're with a mayor, the mayor is elected. So they better darn well answer stuff because they are elected. Right. What have you sort of learned in your one year on council that maybe you didn't learn uh, observing for four years? That's an interesting. In Obama's book, at one point he talks about when he, before he was elected, how he thought he was going to do this with Iran, he's going to do that, he's going to do that. And then he got into office and realized he couldn't necessarily do it. And he said, I realized I was talking from the cheap seats before. <laughs> and that's true. I mean, no, no matter how much you watch it, you get a good understanding of things. But what you don't understand is what goes on in between. Council is just one part of it, the meeting itself. If I'm going to pass, like when I wanted to do my uh, amendment to the foreclosure bond, it's not just I just pop in and plop it on people. That's a good way to have it fail. Instead, I first, you know, talked to a couple of people, said, yeah, I was thinking about doing this. And, you know, they had a pretty good feel about it. And I mentioned it in the Committee of the Whole, and nobody said, don't do it, I'm against it. So then I, I brought together some people who are experts, like Chip Bromley, Kermit Lind, who's a professor mm-hmm. in housing, and um, my husband and we, we met and we figured out how we wanted to change the legislation. Then we went to the legal department in housing and we met with them because whatever we enact has to be administratively doable. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get that part ironed out and we have to have make sure they have a support because I know the first thing that's going to be asked in council is, does the staff support this? So. We went through that, made a couple changes, and then I told people again that I was going to be bringing this forward. I wrote a memo detailing it, and then we voted on it. And that's how you successfully pass a legislation. Right. Yeah, that's why I, I, I think I prefer the cheap seats for now. At least. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. When you're not in the cheap seats, it's a lot of work. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, exactly. No, but it, uh, but it's exciting, right, too? Yeah. Like, don't, I mean, like me, don't you look around and think that this place, it's in, like, Enough being passive in this city, like with a, like acting passively. Isn't it time to be proactive? And, it is. And, it and is. maybe this place will, for you know, won't be so undervalued. You know, like this uh-huh. should be set up to thrive, right? It should. Generally, be. for yeah. the most part. It should be. Um, what other things are you excited about? Are you um, are you comfortable with uh, the Lee and Meadowbrook development moving forward before we elect a mayor? Yeah, I am actually. Um, and I'm really pleased about our new uh, planning director. So I had been speaking with him and saying, look, you know, one of the things that I think we kind of do things a little backwards. We get the developers in, we have an RP, and they, they, they tell us what they're going to do. And then we say, okay, and then they get an MOU. And then, then we say, oh, we got to have public input. And meanwhile, they've already done all these plans. I said, couldn't we, like, at the beginning, have of an RFP? say, Brickleyland Heights, here are our values. 
We value sustainability, so please, whatever plans you have, please take that into account, including trying to save as many trees as possible. Your architect can design around it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that, that some might have to go, but we can sure li limit it. Right. And say, and he here's the values that our, our, our uh, residents have. And then ask them to do, a, um, to do their proposal. He agrees that we, we've, that, that's good. Put it up front, you know, all the, all the work up front so you don't have a problem later. I like what he's doing with the MOU right now with, um, with uh, Cedarly Meadowbrook because... Memorandum of Understanding. Yeah, they're, mm -hmm. they're planning public input before they start. You know, they're planning that. So I think that that's very good. That's, I think, going to be a better sell to people if they have input on it. What's the timeline right now? Timeline. Well, we're hoping we get the MOU. We're hoping we scheduled a special meeting for the 28th, so that if they had the MOU, we can we can we can vote it on it. And then the input, like, is it possible the ground could be broken in 2021? I don't know. You don't know. Okay. I don't know. Um, we inter I interviewed uh, Annette Blackwell a few weeks ago, the mayor of, mm -hmm. of Maple Heights, and 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 I, I was fascinated by one of her proposals um, that they put in place there um, to encourage owner-occupied housing. Obviously, I'm assuming you would prefer yeah. that all of our housing here oh, was yeah. owner-occupied, well, right? Well, in fact, with our infill, we're, we're saying they should be sold in our rehabs. They need to be sold to someone who is going to live in it, right. and we give them a, at least a period of years. Sure, you know? but in, uh, in Maple Heights, to help people become owner-occupiers in some of their homes, they allow you to submit an affidavit uh, to avoid escrow. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So if you're going to be an owner-occupy uh, home. I just thought that was a really interesting proposal. And we don't have that in Clean Lights, right? Escrow no. still is a burden, potentially, right? Escrow, if you, wanna, you mean when you're doing point of sale? Point of sale. Yeah. You have to put, like my brother and sister-in-law bought a house and it hadn't been lived in 10 years. But they had to put $25,000 into escrow, yeah. which can keep a family from yeah, wanting to... It, it can be a complete obstacle to buying that house, right? Yeah. So I just thought, is is, is anything like that on an, under discussion here in Cleveland Heights? Too? It hasn't been, but I like the idea. Well, I mean, it's something certainly I'll have to talk to her about what they're doing. Yeah, I think it, she said it's been a huge success and that Great. they, you know, you're still on the hook potentially if you don't right. make the changes, but at least it lets families get in and make those changes yeah. um, well, without having to put... some of the work themselves. And, and exactly, they, they could do the work themselves yeah. potentially. Um, so we've we're here in one in an empty lot uh, that's a city that uh, we're going to be do, developing. When you think about severance, and then you see Park Synagogue now up for sale, yeah. Are you? Let me back you up a second. All right. I don't think this lot is actually going to be one of the lots that's going to be infill. Oh, it's not. What is this going to be? What, what's going to be here? Well, they're, they're over the course of the summer they're going to do a couple of things. The residents are Boulevard neighbors. Oh, cool. To test what might be good here. Okay. So. Um, because part of it that is the Compton Greenway, so as you go along Compton, they wanted to keep these lots. Huh? Is the one across the street over there? Is that or is that? I don't know if that's city owned or not. What about the know. one next door here? I believe that's city owned. That one's city owned. So, um, so but bigger picture, yeah. severance obviously, we lost control. Yes. You know, obviously historically, yes. it's one of those things that. Again, if we had a mayor, someone who really wanted to make something yeah. happen, we wouldn't be sitting here 
today, begging yeah. Namdar to come to the table and, and well, work with us. But now we have Park Synagogue up for sale. 28 do. gorgeous acres. I know. What do we think? What are we thinking about? Okay. On Severance or Park Synagogue? But all of it. <laughs> okay. all, I mean, are we, are we going to use Severance as a lesson with Park Synagogue? Yeah. With Park Synagogue, once it came up in council that it was up for sale, I can't contacted a few friends. You know, like Deb Van Cleef and Rachel Dubolian said, and, and they live right, she, one of them lives right there, bordering it. And I says, you should know this, because if you actually want to do something and make a difference, you probably ought to start talking about it now before right. some developer comes in right. and says, here's what I'm going to do. You know, maybe you talk to Park Synagogue, you, might, you know, talk to the planning director, start to kind of get that, get, get that um, ironed out ahead of time, what could be done. Right. So That's what we didn't do with Oakwood, right? We didn't iron anything out ahead of time, no, right? No, no, we just no, let no. it happen to us. Right. And we need to not just let things happen to us. Um, and and Severance, that should have been bought when it was in receivership. Right. You know? And so now people we're and people here. keep saying that like sixteen million dollars was the sale price for Severance, but wasn't it sold once before that when it was in receivership for like five million dollars? Wasn't uh, it sold less I well I think I think it was sold for ten. For ten? Yeah. Okay. But as I've said in other podcasts too, uh, Namdar's already made their money back and more because they were able to parcel out Home Depot, right? Is that they something were, they had to come to council for to do that? Like, no, are they no, they're just no. able to do it? They, they own it. They what they own, they can do what they want with. That's that's well, they can't like build new things without you know. But they that was already in existence, so they could sell. They could it. divvy it up. Yeah, and they they've recently rented Walmart to Netflix for six months. I saw, it, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I saw it. We were there. Yeah, that's why it's we were there like yesterday. Adam Driver is. Uh, it's an Adam Driver movie. Is, oh, is uh, it? <laughs> Kylo Ren from uh, Star Wars is, oh, okay. is up there. Yeah, and Greta Gerwig. Yeah, I think it's a pretty, oh, cool. pretty big movie. Um, but it, it's even with a mayor, you still have the problem that we don't have site control. So what a mayor's got to do is pull out all the stops. And in my feeling is, for economic development, business development, it's okay. Your priorities, you have two priorities. Severance and the triangle at, May, at Mayfield, Monticello, you know, that area, Noble. Those two need to be developed. And we need to do whatever we can with severance. Slap them with every violation we can get, maybe. Keep slapping them with them so that they'll, they'll get sick of us. Right. We can also try to look for someone who might want to buy it and see if we can get them to, you know, Right, facilitate something. Right, right. right. But facilitate. we are limited to some, obviously. Yeah. We have some limits, but but we've got to pull out enough steps. I've also asked to have a uh, a planning and develop. I'm on planning development committee to have a meeting. Uh, one, our planning director is not from Ohio, so he won't be as familiar with Ohio law. So we want to have a, a meeting to talk about all the possible tools. So I want to know, you know. When I say I want to know about eminent domain, it's not like I could, it's not like the city could afford to buy that property. Right. Right. At this point. But. Well, if we weren't spending $28 million on, on, a sewer. on the sewer, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could. Yeah. Um, so, and I know that's that, so that it's on my list to get into yes. that. And so I, you know better than anybody the current status of that situation with our sewers, right? I mean, or as, or as well as anybody, right? Yeah. Uh, as much as you can. Um, so, and I've been doing my best to read up uh, I'm, I'm on the situation. 
and why we're here, how we got here, yet another situation probably that should have been addressed proactively in the past, right? Our sewers were under a potentially half a billion dollar, um, facing a half a billion dollars in repairs over the next 50 years. Right, uh, and right. we And the EPA has us under their thumb. Yes. But I've, here's what I want someone to explain to me. Why are we under the EPA's thumb unlike anybody else in the region right now? I don't want to be... Uh, okay, so I, I don't think we were as responsive, perhaps, somewhere in the past. Okay. The was there. We ignored some emails? So we have, to, we have a consent decree that we have to abide by. So we are then, you know, if, if, you, if you volunteer to the EPA to do stuff, you don't always have to have a consent decree. But if you don't, you do generally have to have one. So anyway, you're right. It, it, it's not, though, if you, if you look at most old suburbs, and I've lived in a number of them, have old sewers. Sure. When I lived in LaGrange Park, Illinois, they had combined storm and sewer. Right. All together. Right. In one pipe, which meant everybody's basement's backed up, right? Right, right. Yep. Um, they're in worse shape. We, we have two pipes, so there's two pipes, one on top of the other, but they're old and they're leaking, and so they're leaking combining sure. in a lot of ways. And they're in the same trench. They're not in separate trenches, so it all kind of gets mixed together. That's a problem. Is that all of Cleveland Heights? Like, we have some sections of Cleveland Heights were built in the 50s, right? Do they have the yeah, same system? I believe so. But their system won't, might not be as old. With the consent well, degree, is the consent degree so binding that we can't renegotiate it? Well, that is a legal question that I can't answer. I can't answer that, whether it can be... I, I have never heard of them, but I don't know if that's possible. Um, I just, my, I, I suggested this a, lot, a couple in the last few days that the $28 million that we're sort of like throwing at this to get the EPA off our backs essentially, well, right? Well, it's not 28 yet. Uh, 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 it's being negotiated. It's being, nego it's being negotiated. We're going to, council though has in theory agreed to put some amount of money towards this consent decree, right? right? Just to get the EPA off our backs, essentially? Is that the, no, the thought? No, the EPA also knows we have the money. They know we got that money. So their view is going to be, you have to remember, too, to the extent we don't use that money, we have to raise sewer fees a lot more. Right. Whereas but we, we have Biden's the money, We have Biden's infrastructure plan that's if coming. It, if it comes, yes. It's going to come. I mean, we're, even Republicans, it's going to come. They're, they're, you know, there's, it seems to be bipartisan support that it's yeah. coming. Um, I would think that support for um, dated infrastructure in a, in, a, yeah. in a diverse city like this, yeah. like it seems like there's an equity issue there too. There is. And, you know, if we get the infrastructure money, so remember, the $28 million isn't all spent at once. Right. It's a little bit here and there. Yeah. So if the infrastructure money comes in, we can use that instead of this money. Okay. All right. So you're saying that once we make that, we're not writing, we're not getting the check from the federal government and then writing the EPA a check for 20 million. No. We're not, no. not writing them a check, but we're not putting that 20 million in a unlocked up escrow account, essentially no. that, we, that we can't touch again. It's not like that. No, it's not like that. Okay. It's, it's. I mean, it's going to be. We're not going to do anything with it till we, till we know. I mean, we'll be paying some out perhaps, but we're not going to spend the whole 28 million if we can get the infrastructure money right. and use that. Okay. Then we would free up what's left of the 28. All right, again, and I'll, I'll let this go after this, but I look at you know, Shaker Country Club yeah. dumping into Green Lake, 
it goes into Donebrook too. Like, how does the EPA? How are they parsing out who's responsible for what? Well, they're having to do things too. I know, but like, I know. Again, I just am fascinated by why why <laughs> why us? we got this. Why situation. again? Patient zero. Like, I almost feel. I felt the same way with um, with the vouchers, right? Like, so we uh, when I when I email Matt Dolan and I say, you know, get us some relief from this problem you created that's yeah. dividing this community. Why don't you want to fix this? You did this. Yeah. You're saying our <laughs> yeah. our schools are failing, which is clearly a, a racist and classist based based on their racist and yes. classist system that they created, and they're not offering us any relief. And right. yet, when vouchers were going to come to Solon, one of the Solon Elementary schools was going to be on the voucher list. Oh, they backed off, and they said, "Oh no, no, no. oh no, we can't have vouchers in Solon." Okay. Interesting, huh? Oh, it's it's amazing how they suddenly drew that line when their system was going to include one of their schools. Yeah. I know it needs to be changed. Well, it's gonna, it it's gonna, it is finally going to change, I think. But it's still like it's not retroactively. We still had no, to pass. No, no. We still we had to pass another levy in this. T- we still, yeah. just to maintain the status quo. You know. I know. I know. Anyway, um, I want to talk about something that is uh, about you that I think everyone should know if they don't know uh, about you. Uh, is that's why I first got to know you was you uh, sponsored. Um, Ainsley, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Demus. Demus, uh, who was a Haitian refugee who clearly deserved asylum. Yeah. And the federal government, uh, he, he made it to Baja, California, uh, requested asylum, and the federal government put him in a jail. In Geauga County. In Geauga Ge- for years. Yeah. Not prison where he can go outside, a jail no. where he was stuck inside, no access to the outside world, and just left him there to rot, essentially? Yeah. And how, did you, how did you connect with him? Well, a friend of ours, Ann Hill, uh, called us one day because she, she knew we were interested in immigrant rights. She said, you know, I know about this guy who's stuck. He's been stuck for about two years in the jail, and he needs a sponsor. And uh, I said, she said, will you do it? And my husband and I looked at each other and said, sure, we'll do it. And so we started visiting him in jail every week. And he could only have two visits for like two hours on, I think it was two hours, on Sunday and two hours Friday. So we got someone else to do that. And then we formed Ainsley's Army, which is a group to kind of support him, send him cards and letters to keep his spirits up and, you know, and visit if we couldn't go. And and the ACLU uh, had a suit with him as the lead plaintiff because he was the only one who would give his name. All the others were terrified of giving their name because of ICE. So... It said, you know, you have to do, you have to allow him to have a sponsor, basically. So it went to court, and um, they said, oh no, he's a flight risk. So then uh, the ACLU filed a habeas corpus case where it's a, it's like, show me the body, you know. So it was to the federal court this time. Yeah. So it's not going through ICE. Meanwhile, he had his. ICE hearings, and he had been granted asylum twice by the judge, and each time ICE appealed it. And so the last time when they appealed it, and she she overturned, said, oh no, you know, he deserves and you're asylum. And you're committing to help him, you're right. committing to be in, sort of in charge of keeping an eye on him and making sure he's, he's yeah. safe and sound. And and that ICE is still fighting it. They're spending resources right. to fight it. Right. They're spending resources to fight it. So it finally goes to federal court. So we rented a bus and we bought Ainsley's Army up to Ann Arbor. And the great part was 
So we made sure to get him a suit and everything because he didn't want to be, you know, look like a prisoner. Right. And um, when she started to hear the case, she said, well, I see here you say he's, he has no community ties. Who are all these people then? <laughs> <laughs> and the court, the courtroom was packed. We, they had to even bring in extra chairs. Wow. So, so what did I say or what did they say to that? Well, they, they, they had all kinds of excuses. And uh, then she says, okay, you have to come back. It, you, it can't just be that, oh, yeah, we've done our due, pro, due diligence because we did our process. I have to have definitive, substantive due process. So you got 24 hours to give me that. So they, of course, go scrambling, and the next day, and he gets shoved off into a jail in Monroe, uh, Michigan, and the next day, Ice ends up calling us and saying, or calling and saying, well, the lawyer called and said, Ice wants to know, uh, if you're willing to take him, okay, he has to stay with you, and he said, that's fine, that's why we're sponsoring him. So uh, we were able to pick him up then. That was in 2019, so what, where is he now? 20... Wait a minute, 2018. I think. 2018. Yeah. I saw you on CBS Sunday morning yeah. with Ted Koppel. He came to your house, came yes, to Cleveland he did. Heights, did a great story on you guys. A really a neat 10 minute feature. You should Google it uh, if you want to see it, learn about Ainsley. But so, what's his status today? Where is he? Well, he uh, he has a job. Uh, he works for for uh, I think it's I forget the name of the company. That's okay. Like Federated Metals or Allied Metals. It's a metal company in Bedford Heights, and. Um, he, it's a, it's a forger, forge, they forge metals. Okay. Okay. So he's working there and um, he Does he still live with you? No, no. He, no. he got his own apartment. Okay. He lives on Stillman, so not far, and he wanted to be close by because he said we're uh -huh. his only family. So his wife so. and two daughters, does he ever get to son see them? Son and daughter. No. Or son and, he still has never seen them? Uh, only on WhatsApp. So they can't come visit? No, we tried that and, and ICE won't allow it because they're afraid that... He'll disappear with them into the right. you know, sunset somewhere. Right. Where are they going to Yeah. Where are they going to go? <laughs> so, no, they won't even let him visit. So what's the status with this case? Is he... Uh, is Nothing this... has happened. They haven't come back on the appeal at all. So They're if you hadn't like fought for him, he'd there. still be sitting in jail? Yes, he would be. Or he would have given up. And, they would, and he would have just said, send me home? Yeah. He could then, have done that at some point if he really yeah, wanted to. Yeah, he'd have to face getting killed. Right, but, getting killed yeah. in Haiti. Right. Yeah. That's fascinating. So I and I so was that like a trigger point for you to wanting to put your name on a ballot at all? Was that like was there anything yeah. after that? Was that because it's it was twenty nineteen probably where you started thinking about hey I might run for council right. right? That's right. Yes. Yes. No. I I ran for council because I I'd been working at trying to change things from the outside and I decided it was time to try to change things from the inside. Um, anything in terms of the policing review that stuff that's going the policy reviews like is there anything that you hope to see or that you, you mean support? On the police one? Yeah, the, the police. Uh, yeah, yeah there, and it's is it going to lead to some sub substantive I changes? I would hope so. Yes, and um, you know they're, they're, they've given us some more information, and we have now asked the, the racial justice task force to also look over the information to come up. You know, they've made recommendations. We want the Racial Justice Task Force to look at it as well. And you put Rhonda Davis Lovejoy uh, in charge of that. She's great. Uh, she, everyone, uh, she's uh, going to be a guest on the podcast here in, in the not-too-distant future. Oh, she's she's agreed to come on. Um, so I guess anything else that you think is important uh, as, in terms of uh, what you hope to see? Assuming you become mayor, what do you else do you 
hope to have happen quickly in the first few years of your first term? Well, day one when I get in there, people always say they can't get a hold of you or get any answers. And that's probably true. So I want one person who answers the phone and is like a community relations person and we get a software package, a relationship management software. They have to log in the calls with who called and what it's about and when they refer it to a department, then that department by policy will have to answer within 48 hours. Now, if they can't get the answer in 48 hours, they still have to call back to the person and say, it's going to take me three more days to get you your answer, but I'll call you in three days. So that people don't see like their requests going into a black hole all the time. It needs to be answered. So that's that's the first thing, of course. So how are you going to deal with people that abuse the system? That's what I was always wondering about uh, when you're a mayor, like, because you're going to have like 10 or 12 people that just yes. complain every day because it's a hobby, right? So how do you deal yes. with those people? Well, in that case, I'm probably going to have to give them a call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you saw Michael yep. Dylan Brennan got yep. got set off finally by someone who was he got yeah and and, and like i could see where because your time whoever becomes mayor is going to be a community resource right oh yeah people can't be allowed to abuse that community resource no they can't and and you know when i've talked with annette blackwell and 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 with um georgine Milo, one of the things they said is being mayor is part social work yeah and it is it is uh and, a, and in a very sort of complicated place too right like it it's not like it, the uh the person who be, takes this job is going to have to have some pretty varied people skills right yes uh that's a very important trait that has to happen has um, to be people skills anything else besides your community relations uh stuff that you want to get done quickly well i want to get the housing department fixed like immediately so that we're staffed up i want them well trained and I want them getting out there, and I want them on the street all the time looking. Doing the thing that you've been doing. So you've been going, yeah. and you sort of mentioned this, but you've yeah. been going street to street, right? Like, you know every house that, well, or a lot of I don't of know them. if I know every no, house. No, but, but, like, but you have been making a list, right, of, right, like, right. problem, and you know which ones are owned by out-of-state landlords, yeah. and uh, uh, it seems like those, the, the property, the problem properties owned by out-of-state people would be the... Um, that's the ones that you want huge, to take care of yes. first, right? Yeah. yeah, we have to have a strategy on housing. And my, my, my version of the strategy is let's get the bad properties first. Not the homeowners, the bad properties. Right. Because those are the ones that are causing us the issues. Okay. Anything else uh, early on that you want to focus on? Well, and I also want to tell economic development that severance and noble triangle, that those are the two priorities. You know, top of the hill... Seriously, those were the easy things. One of my other sort of, let, let, let you go, sort of pet um, things is, is how if, if Forest Hill, whether it, I know the bulk of it's in East Cleveland, but if it was on that Metro Park map, how important that would be to that area mm -hmm. uh, in terms of development, right? And in terms yeah. of that area getting the, the, um, the due that it deserves. Well, yeah. uh, do you, any thoughts on, on that concept? Yeah, I would love that. Because if they had the park, you see what they've done at Edgewater mm -hmm. and what they've done up at uh, Euclid Creek? Oh, yeah. You know, that could, that could be our park. There. I mean, it's, it's in our town. Right. Which, you know, it would be. Right. The, they have the money to do the things that would be, make it very special. Now, we'd have to, of course, negotiate because there's ballparks and stuff we'd want to have stay. Of course. But 
that's all the negotiation. But if Metropark could could take that, they, I think they need to take both sides. Of course. Yeah. But uh, I think, I don't think But they don't want to manage our ball fields. No. Right. Probably not. And we probably don't want them to do it either. I mean, our, no. that's, I think that's one of the things that our, our city rec department does. Our ball fields look great, yeah. you know? So. I mean, you can section off part of it for that. Can you? you? Know? Like, that's why I didn't know if, if, if you can subdivide it. I, you know, that's a good question. I thought that was an issue with That least could be with, an issue, um, yeah. Yeah, that could be an issue. But there has to be a way maybe we lease it from them. That's what Mar Annette Blackwell just did with one of their parks, yeah. Dunham Park in, in Maple Heights. It was an eyesore that nobody, the city couldn't afford to keep yeah. it. We, I mean, they couldn't afford to keep theirs up. But yeah, now they have a Metro Parks owned, uh, yeah. maintained park. But they did yeah. a 99 year lease. And they, they do a very, very nice job at Metro Parks. I, I love it's their the, parks. I say it's the best run organization in the county, yeah. probably, right? It's honestly yeah. a symbol of what a true county government, how it should be operating, right? right? Like it's right. the example that we should all be taking. Yeah. And there's so. opportunities, I think, for for working together with other cities. Like, right. for instance, if you look at building, right now our building department is run by SafeBuilt, which is an outsource. Right. I like it being in-house. Right. Um, so what if we, building code is state code. Housing code is, is local. local, but building code is state code. Why couldn't we partner with some of the cities pay a little more so we can get the people because it's hard to hire people right now for mm -hmm. that get the people and they would handle the cities right so we'd have one building department for a group of cities that would be more cost effective and we could probably then afford to get get the people we need since i've got you here garbage cans what's the latest on the ah, garbage cans supposed to be coming september september october time frame supposed to be coming i'm, I'm looking forward to that yeah i've had those things before and they're actually very easy to roll even for someone my size uh -huh. you know so i like them now and they're they're making accommodations for older people so they can opt to have a smaller one they're also you know saying do they need help getting things out that type of thing so the city is working with the older people anything with uh the deer population the, you know, when I grew up here, there were there, there were no deer wandering no. down my street. Oh, they're, you know? uh, so, they're everywhere. <laughs> like, so any plans on what to do with the deer? I don't know what to do with the deer. I, I don't know if this is true. I heard that some cities put out salt licks with birth control. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's true oh, or yeah? if that's like a, a I heard Pepper a, Pike is calling wives is, tale. Pepper Pike is calling them I think. Oh, are they? I think you I think they're calling the herd a little bit out in Pepper yeah. Pike. I How think it was controversial. That? I don't, I think they hire sharpshooters. But doesn't sound like something that would fly in Cleveland Heights. No, but. I don't think I don't think sharpshooters shooting around our neighborhoods. No, I don't think no. I don't no. no, I don't think it's a good idea either, but I'm just I was I'm just fascinated every time I see them uh chewing up my hostas. Oh yeah, know, I know. But. I got a bunch of hostas and I'm waiting for them to be this big. <laughs> All right. Well, uh we wish you luck and Thank um you. we really appreciate taking the time. Uh looking forward to not on this lot necessarily, but on the other lots up here. Yep. Uh seeing some some new housing coming in and um yeah, it's an exciting time. It is. All right. Thanks for joining us.